Enrollment is open for Thomas's upcoming six-session live online course, Navigating the Levels of Trauma Healing. Explore how to work with the impacts of collective crises and challenges and learn tools to manage anxiety, overwhelm, and nervous system dysregulation during times of accelerated change and disruption. In this all-new curriculum, Thomas and expert guest speakers will engage in ecosystemic practices to collectively explore our resilience, agency, and capacity to stay present and find deeper meaning. Click the link in our show notes to learn more and enroll. Or go to www.navigatingthelevelsoftrauma.com. Welcome to Point of Relation with Thomas Hubel, a podcast that illuminates the path to collective healing at the intersection of science and mysticism. In his conversations with visionaries, innovators, artists, and healers, Thomas invites guests into a relational experience that allows inspiration and innovation to emerge. This is the point of relation. Please note that this conversation includes mentions of molestation and rape. Please consider whether this material may be disturbing to you. If you anticipate this topic to be difficult to effectively process on your own, we do recommend you choose not to listen. If listening may support your healing process, then we invite you to continue. Our guest for today's episode is Stephen Gyllenhaal. In 2017, after 50 years in the psychological sector, Stephen founded the Identity Development Institute, helping people heal from the impact of trauma from conception through pre-verbal development. He's also been an award-winning Hollywood director, primarily focusing on psychological issues, and in recent years has turned his attention to documentaries that explore social structure and early human development. We hope you enjoy this conversation. I'm sort of open to whatever evolves in a way. I think I'm open to being slightly confused right now about about everything, being comfortable with that. you know, I think being being confused about how to relate to what's going on outside, but I think being able to do that because I feel pretty comfortable with who I am inside. You know, there's always things to refine, things to accept, things to, I'm not sure change anymore, but things to examine. But I think um, it's a, it's a strange world right now, or... I was thinking about this before we came on, or maybe it's always been a strange world. It's always been a worrisome worried world in the species has always been at war and done these things, but in a way we're more linked than we've ever been. I mean, I think, you know, we were talking before a little bit about resonating and I think we do pick up whatever's going on on the planet in a way. You know, but now we have images, we have this whole internet, which really forces us to be much more aware of where the trauma spots are, where profound trauma, where the hot spots of trauma sit. And and in a way, I think that's sort of evolution at work. I mean, that's what I wanted to sort of explore with you a little bit. You know, you're in a you're you're in the hot spot. Uh, and um, and I almost wanted to interview you today. <laughs> it was sort of like going, I want to ask a bunch of questions, you know, it's like, so I'll throw that out as sort of a vague effort of a question, which is, are you confused? I feel that there is, of course, a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of, um, unknown that's developing right now. We don't know where this whole conflict, where this whole war, where this whole global situation is going to go. Um, but I don't feel I don't feel confused in it. I, I feel like uh, in all this movement and in all the also really painful reality that you know there's a lot of pain right now. There's a lot of suffering. And, um, but I feel kind of called to be here. Mm. There's, there's kind of some, 
sense of presence or some knowing that this is also the right place to be and to kind of walk my talk, like do all this, the work that we do, including, of course, the collective trauma work in a situation that really needs it, where it's hot, like where it's, uh, where it's, it's needed immediately. Um, so I feel that's a, there I feel like a, like a strong calling or so. So yeah, that's a bit a short, short description. <laughs> I think maybe my question was wrong in a way because I don't think the question was so much confused, although I'm glad I asked it because to say you're not confused, I think is, is valuable. I'm not exactly confused as much as I'm willing to be uncertain about how to respond, how to process um, what's going on now. And I think I feel the same as you that it's we are an we are in an amazing moment in human history um, because there is a connectedness on so many levels that is new. For instance, the internet. For instance, all these images. For instance, an iPhone or a phone or a cell phone can deliver information immediately all around the world. That's a big difference from what it was when there might have been a war going on on the other side of the world and we could all be fine. Even though I think we were resonating the pain inside, we could bury it as I think we bury so much of our own pain. I mean, you know, you know, we've talked about the work that I'm doing and the work that has really shaped me which is understanding that when we are very small in utero, even you know, in utero, that whole period of time when we're so fragile, and then through really um, pre-verbal development till around four years old, we're so so fragile and we're so vulnerable. And even with the best of intentions, parents can traumatize, profoundly traumatize, you know, th their children. And I know as much as my parents loved me, I think, as best they could, I was profoundly traumatized because I went back to that period of time. And biologically, we learn how to suppress that and bury it and move on with life. You know, so we are all carrying very personal, I think, pain, and we know how to keep it held down. So we've been able to not have to experience the pain that's all around us. And I think when we can't experience the pain all around us and inside of ourselves, we can't really have empathy for what's going on. We, we, we avoid the empathy, not just for the horrible things that are going on in the world, but for the things inside of ourselves. But it seems to me to be a um, bringing to the surface and being conscious about you know, what's going on in Israel, what's going on in you know, the Ukraine, what's going on in the, in the ghettos all over the world, and the pain inside of ourselves. It's, it's sort of selfish and selfless at the same time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Especially also how when we bury or kind of anesthetize the pain uh, that we carry inside, we become more absent. Manam, yep. and then we cannot uh, resonate with. And I think our conversation also last time kind of was around resonance. And I think that's something we both are passionate about. Resonance and responsibility, the ability to respond from a resonant nervous system, from a resonant body, emotion, mind system. Yeah, so I, I this makes a lot of sense to me. And it also... Um, shows how much also, on the one hand, the collective dimension of um, of pain needs to get numb because it becomes overwhelming when we see all the, like the interconnectedness that you spoke about. On the one hand, lets us learn a lot, but also triggers a lot of that push down pain all the time. And I think that's something we need to learn how to be with in a different way. Yeah, so this makes a lot of sense me you know i think my experience in the work that i've done is that you want to develop the adult part of yourself you want to develop a maturity but unless you go down and find the immature parts of yourself that have been frozen and buried 
you're just spending all your time keeping that buried. You know, it's sort of like being a parent when your child is in pain and you go, oh, it's okay. You know, just, it's not, you're not really in pain as opposed to going, you're in pain and I'll be with you there with you. I don't exactly know what to do. I'm frightened too. You've just cut your arm and you're bleeding and I got to get you to the, you know, and you're scared and I'm scared, but I want to be with you during that. Or it's even, you know, sort of psychological pains that children go through. They all go through it. That to begin as well as possible to evolve an adult being, um, which I think comes back to being able to be comfortable in uncertainty, that you really don't know what to do. And when, when it really gets bad with your kids or whatever, you kind of fall back on what your parents did, which is a really bad idea, <laughs> you know, almost always. You know, it's like, oh, I've got to do this differently. You know, it's like my son, my nine-year-old, so I got a bee sting today and was really, really in pain, but was kind of also playing the pain card a little bit. So how do you deal with that? You know, how do you how do you both be empathic? But also I was trying to talk, try and talk about today, how do you let the feelings come up, but don't let the feelings, like you were saying, a little bit overwhelm reality with a, a child's overwrought fear of something. These things is not the end of the world. It hurts. It's going to go away. I've been through this a lot. It itches later. That's a drag, you know, but you don't know that at the time. So this idea of trying to become an adult um, is something I'm trying to work on. It's 74 years old. I'm trying to <laughs> figure out how to be an adult, you know, and it's like, it's, I, and I'm really still trying to stay really open to that. I'm uncertain how to do that. Um, I think what you're talking about, about pain, um, the capacity to feel pain, to develop a capacity to feel pain and not run from it seems to be a really important piece of this and not overreact or underreact, but just feel it. You know, I feel pain a lot. I mean, I was hoping when I did this work, you know, with the Institute, that the pain would go away, you know, that all of a sudden I'd be happy and gentle and loving and spiritual and, you know, enlightened. And what I've found is almost the opposite. There's more pain. There's more pain than there was, but I seem to be able to face it, you know. Um, so my, here's my question to you. How do we do that? This is now I'm interviewing you. <laughs> how, <laughs> how, how do you do that? You're in the middle of the hotspot and you're also speaking to so many people. If I'm right, how do you how do you do it? Yeah, I think it's a combination of what you said. Um, the combination of um, being willing to feel the discomfort. Because I think if we can feel more and more our own discomfort without looking at it as now something is wrong. Mm -hmm. Because often we think, oh, when there's discomfort, something is wrong. And then we create this kind of, what you said before, this illusionary reality. Oh, I will work through this. And then I will be in a life that's just going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> and we all know that we are living in a world that is, that carries trauma. We don't know what's going to happen in our life. You know, what's coming towards us. So... You said then something else. You said, yeah, sometimes the pain even gets stronger, but we have a higher capacity. And I think that's like being willing to just turn towards pain with that attention. That is already pretty mature. I think, do you know the Aeschylus quote? I can't ever remember. Did I quote it before? Like I carried it on my phone, even in our sleep. Pain, which cannot forget, falls drop by drop upon the heart until in our own despair, makes me cry, against our will comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. Yeah, I mean, sorry, but that's what it seems to be. Right. Right. You know, it's been, it's, 
it's been interesting. I've had to face, because I've been dealing with some of my in utero experiences now, because I've been able to go back with this work to what happened to me when I was in the womb, which is sounds crazy. You know, sounds like it's impossible, but then people used to think the world was flat and it couldn't possibly be round. I think we're moving into a whole nother era. And what I realized after being deep in a couple of sessions, I dug up and realized that my mother had been reading this book when she was pregnant with me called The Fountainhead. I don't know if you know the book, it's Anne Rand's book, The Fountainhead, which is about an architect. It's kind of a fascist book, actually, about a superhero, about an architect based on Frank Lloyd Wright, who was the most amazing man and did amazing things and lived outside the box and blah, 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 and did great things. And I think it's what allowed me to survive in utero. I realized it really was, that I was taking in this book and everyone a lot of people now talk about the in utero time when you play mozart you know it's good for the kid whatever i think these things are all true because the connection is so deep resonating and or biologically there's this connection anyway i realized that i'm not sure i want to be this character that that she was reading about and in fact his name was howard rourke and my mother named me my middle name is rourke and so that was what I was supposed to be. And so, you know, I've thought about how, what have I done with my life? Yeah, I've been living this life, but is it really my life? And then, and is it exactly what I want? And I don't think it is, but then it's what happened. So it's like, and for all of us, how much are we living our own lives? How much do we have to slowly, gently, lovingly, respectfully, even take apart things that were given to us that we didn't really want, we had, I think it allowed me to survive, but I don't think it, it necessarily now allows me to do what I think I need to do. I think what you need to do. I think what we need to do, which is become our full selves, sort of the way I think nature or God or whatever one wants to call this. And I have definitely become, we've talked a little bit about spirituality. I mean, if two years ago, the people I work with heard me talking about spirituality now, they would think something really weird has happened. And it has, you know, that I've really found, if you're looking at the universe and what's going on, you have to come to believe, you, it's, it, there's too much evidence that it's something profoundly positive and loving because at the core, that's really who we are, even though we're so lost. But I think I suddenly got lost. I don't know where I went. So you have to <laughs> pull me back to what I'm trying to say. But I think, um, um, yeah, I'm going to leave it there, wherever I left that. <laughs> yeah, I think also, I mean, the multiple things that you said that I want to come back to. One is to also respond to the, to the first question, because I think there is something about, like when the, when the Tao, the Jing, Stephen Mitchell's translation, uh, and it says, when the master runs into difficulties, she stops and she gives herself to it. Mm -hmm. I thought that's a wonderful yeah, yeah. framing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I think that quality, how do we have enough inner space and presence that we can give ourselves to what we feel or experience is difficult. And by slowing down, like she stops, we actually slow down to feel more. We come in touch with that which is really difficult for us. And then we, there's a way to, to melt that or resolve that or integrate that. I think that's really beautiful. So it's actually a learning step. And, mm -hmm. and I think it, it shows me where I'm not in resonance with the universe, where there's more numbness or absence that I can't feel the universe. And I think also in the work that I've been involved in many, many, in the, I've, I am involved in many initiatives or volunteer in, in some trauma center. And, um, and it's, it's, it's amazing when we feel that in, in a crisis, we allow ourselves to feel, and at the same time, we stay with our agency that has a that can contribute what the resource that agency and contribution is that in crisis to be generous 
Yeah. And I yeah, think okay. that, yeah. I think cool that's question. in the part. Yeah, that's interesting. In crisis, to be generous, because I think I find every once in a while, like for instance, when I'm angry at somebody or something, whenever I give into that anger and I'm not generous, but I'm like, it never works. It never works. And the only reason I'm much better at it now, I was saying, and just be generous. The only reason I'm better at it is not because I'm wise, but because it's gone wrong so many times. There's just a place <laughs> now that goes, don't put your hand on that oven another time. It's going to burn. It's not, it's just experience. <laughs> don't do it. And there's something in me that goes, you are wrong and I'm going to let you know, which is really a defense and it's utterly ungenerous. You know, and the, so the so the the issue of being generous is is critical. And there's something else you said that I'm realizing. There's two paths I'm sort of dealing with right now: feel good and do good. Now, feeling good doesn't mean feeling wonderful. I mean, I think it can at times, and it does. But it's feeling goodness, feeling goodness, which may be in pain, but feeling good, which is sort of what my institute's about, and doing good, which is what uncharitables have been about and what, you know, the documentaries that I've been making about the charitable sector, I'm finding that there, you can't, you can't do good if you don't feel good. I mean, so many people in the charitable sector, for instance, you know, we all know them, don't feel good. You're out doing good, but it doesn't work very well. You have to go deep into yourself to feel good, but you can't just go and feel good. You got to do good. It's like you have to be connecting inside and outside. That's, I think, what I'm feeling more and more. So, yeah, generosity is is key, and it's sometimes tough. <laughs> sometimes tough. That's right. And that's interesting. So maybe we talk a little bit about the film and, uh, yeah, and those yeah, sort of experience, yeah. because I'm I'm curious as far as. Uh, as I can see it, and I see only a small window into the philanthropy world, but I imagine that many, many people in the philanthropy world really have an amazing motivation to do good. And I think what many organizations come up against is actually the forces of the collective trauma that is not yet recognized that creates a lot of either stagnation, fragmentation, depletion, all kinds of symptoms that in trying to deal with certain issues, we actually run into kind of an invisible net. Mm. Like that seems like it stops us or it's hard to go through it. It's like a struggle. And there, and I think there are enough collective topics that are that were very painful and are still very painful that sometimes not recognizing those symptoms uh, I think creates a lot of depletion or not feeling good and I'm wondering what you think about that given that you have now such a kind of a wind open window into this world if that resonates with you with your experience or not totally resonates with me and I think you know, the interesting thing about being a filmmaker, and I've now become a documentarian, really, a filmmaker, is that you get, you have a privilege to really look into a world and really see it from an objective point of view. And I think this the sector in general is very traumatized, very, very traumatized. Part of it's because of the sort of donation structure, which is there are people who have money maybe not even a lot of money, but some people have a lot of money and they give the money to someone else. And there becomes a kind of either conscious or unconscious master-slave relationship. That's what I certainly experienced making the movie was that as opposed to being in the for-profit sector, when I made a movie, I got paid well. I expected a lot of things. I was tough. But when I got into this movie where it's all about donations, I had no power. Whatever the person who had money, and in this case, since the movie cost quite a bit of money, they were people with money, I had to be a different person than I'd been. I had to be sort of selfless. I had to sort of be whatever you think. Now, behind that, there's a Hollywood part of me. It could be tough as nails. And I would, behind the scenes, do whatever I had to do to get the movie made. So that's why the movie worked out finally. And I think why so many people get caught and things don't work out, because they think they have to be self-sacrificing 
They think I'm doing something good, so I have to be good. I have to be gentle. I have to be quiet. I can't get angry because sometimes, I mean, I think we want to get angry and then use that anger to navigate properly, which is not to get screaming at somebody, something I've done at times. But I think, so I think that relationship, number one, that relationship is a problem. Number two, there's another problem, which is the people who have the money, you know, in this case, we can we can use billionaires as an example, who I was dealing with with the movie, and you sort of have to deal with those people. I have a lot of respect for some of them, not all of them. I have a lot of respect for everyone else who, you know, doesn't have money. It doesn't really matter. But when when someone gives you something, they, it's hard for them. to. It's, it's not so easy to give. And I think in terms of people with a lot of wealth, they don't really want to give away much of it. And I've been sort of saying it's like philanthropic constipation. Just give it away. Just you. And I said to one billionaire at one point, I said, look, you're really good at making billions of dollars. Maybe not the best way to always to do it, but you're really good at it. Go make some more billions and take the billions you've got and give them away without strings. Without, I mean, be careful. You need to deal with impact. You need to deal with all these things. You want to work with organizations that are effective. But most charities are quite potentially effective. Most, but they are not functioning well. So the whole idea of the movie was to begin to crack that all open and get a dialogue going, and that's happening. That's been really interesting. It's a little like what happened when I made the movie In Utero. The same thing happened, where it cracked open a whole series of things, and then the people in the sector could do the dialoguing. I didn't have to do it all, but I think, I think it's a, it is a sector. The charitable sector is not functioning very well at all, and it could. And it, it really, really could. And I think it's, and it's for me, it's sort of a slightly, because I want to talk about the other movie too, The Universe Sings, because I want to be very careful in my life to go, I'm a filmmaker. That's what I do. I'm not like a politician. I'm not like, I, I'm a terrible administrator. I, you know, I should, there's certain things I should not be doing. And I've had to do it with this documentary. I had to be the producer too. I will never be a producer again. It's like, and I've been angry at producers my whole life and done all different things. I'm going, every producer out there who's worked with me, if anyone's watching this, I apologize, I apologize, I apologize. It really is a hard job, you know, really, really a hard job. So I think that nonetheless, I was able to see in this world. And I'm hoping now that the film and probably another film after this, I think there'll be an, I think there'll be an uncharitable too, which I may do, but I'm not sure. And a TV show that keeps cracking this open, but it's not where my major focus is. I'm kind of going, I've done this. I've been privileged to do this. It's, I'm very proud of the movie. Very, very proud of it because it's an emotional movie. It's not an intellectual movie. And that's, it's a movie, not like a, an intellectual documentary. It's more, it's an emotional experience, which I hope brings hope. But the other documentary that you and I started talking about, which is The Universe Sings, I think has the potential for even bringing on more change. Mm -hmm. That movies can really change things. They really can change the way people think and they can and how they and really how they feel. And that's about the idea that everything is resonating. Everything. Even the rocks, even the the, everything is everything is energy. I mean, this is what's so interesting about where we sit now and why I think more and more that we're in a quantum age. We've entered, I mean, it was the age of Aquarius. I never really quite understood that, except, you know, there was a fun life for me when I was younger. And, and it was, <laughs> you know, and it was like you know, the age of Aquarius, there's the good music and all that stuff. But I never really understood. I think it was a precursor. It was all about love and everything. It was a precursor to the quantum age which is, is energy, is energy that's the foundation of the universe as far as we know now, is that really just love? Is it really binding together? Is it, is it a dynamic of what we call love? Or is it even bigger and more complex than love? I think it probably is, because we're just experiencing it as human beings as best we can. So what I'm fascinated by and very excited about is this documentary in which, first of all, I can use every kind of music everywhere and anywhere. I can use indigenous music. I was talking with Kosha about it, you know, indigenous music. You know, I can use a baby singing to herself. I can do Mozart. I can do, you know, the Beatles. I can do Imagine Dragons. I can do anything I can do. I can, we can, we can make this a, a, a symphony of music. And also one of the things I discovered is the James Webb telescope. They have now 
way to record the, the sound that's coming from the universe. And it is music. You know, also, I've, I've read about how I've seen an article about how you can put a thing on plants, this little thing they clip onto plants, and it has music. So if we begin to think of this as music, we can then begin to understand how we're communicating with, with each other in a much less intellectual way, although it can be then. So in my experience with the work I've done is I don't really want to explain it with, with too much theory. I want to just go, it works that you can feel, that other people can feel your wounds. If you if the method is right, and I think the method that we've been using is really right, and as you say to somebody, what do you what do you want? Put it in a sentence, pick three words out of that sentence, and give three people the opportunity to feel what those three words mean. And by doing that, you know, the organism, the human organism is doing all different things. However, they got educated, what do the words mean, blah, blah, blah. But what finally happens is you begin to find the blockages that usually are very, very early. We feel it all. It's like every single person is emanating a symphony, which to me is awesome. You know, it's poetry. So, so anyway, so, so in, in a way, to be 74, which I thought by the time, you know, when I was younger, 74, you might as well be dead. You know, <laughs> going, no, it's not over at all. It's just getting going. You know, um, I got so many movies that I want to make, you know, and, 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 and books. I'm working, finishing this memoir and sort of dealing all with all these things to sort of try and capture the energy that has sort of been released, you know, which is, which is, and to try and do it in a mature way, but also maturity means being a little kid sometimes. Being a curious little kid. So anyway, that's so it's your turn. <laughs> First of all, it's lovely to hear you speak, and also the exuberance or the the, the energy that you spread. Uh, you know, it's so to feel your agency and your creativity and how it calls you. Uh, I feel your calling when you speak very strongly, and I think that's also exactly what you speak about the resonance that actually being in resonance and even noticing when we are not in resonance, when we, when we don't feel certain things, I think that really has the power to change our world. That kind of awareness process that we begin to see, feel, know reality uh, through those resonance patterns. I think that that's a deeply embodied process that gives us access to so much information that's all the time here and i find this very exciting i mean we talked about this already and <laughs> i i find this deeply deeply illuminating and exciting and i think important to and also as part of the paradigm shift that releases us a bit from this uh kind of over-mentalization of many many theories but many of them we can't live because it, the information doesn't go in. It's yeah, 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 yeah. information here and not information so that we feel intimate with the universe. And I, and I, because I use, um, I speak often about the Tao, from some parts of the Tao Te Ching in my teaching in my classes. And so last time I saw, and this reminded me of our conversation, another part of the Tao Te Ching, Stephen Mitchell's translation says, and when when people follow the Tao, the law will be written in their hearts mm. and the universe will sing. Mm. Yeah, you that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is so amazing. It's like when we really open up to the Tao, to the deepest foundation of the universe, uh, then and then, then that, and that's also beautiful. Then the law is not externalized law. It's not law in a law book. It's the that the law or the, the ethical movement is included in our actions. It's written in our hearts versus externalized as law books. And I find this beautiful. How often we live in this separation, like in this separate externalized world, which is a consequence of trauma, and how the integration brings the law back into our hearts and then it's not the moral you should behave like this or you should take care of climate change it's it's kind of resting in in our actions anyway we want to do it yeah 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 i find this yeah. amazing 
I, th- I think also what I am finding as I do this work with other people and with myself is that you find everybody knows what's right and wrong. Everybody, the body knows what's right and wrong. If you've done something wrong and you're trying to bury it, you're doing it at your peril. You may die early or you may be sickly your whole life or you may live too long and be miserable. I mean, it's like you you get out of resonance with the universe. You know, it's and I see it over and over and over again with people that. It's like pain, what it. It's hard to know exactly. I don't want to get too much in the definition of pain, but pain is certainly a message if it's internal. You know, hello, hello, something's off, something's off. Come down here because we are good organisms. We we are we are goodness, and this is off. And I think trauma is what sent us off through all of this. I mean, I don't understand how you know. Talk about uncertainty. I don't understand how the universe works. I don't know if, you know, so they go, oh, multiverses, I'll go there for a little while because then, there's a, you know, it could be anything at all. You know, any, it's sort of interesting. What's, as, again, it's a quantum. We're sort of looking at it. But why is there such, why, why do so many evil things go on? You know, I don't know the answer to it, except I think the degree to which, as you say, we can get synchronistic with the universe. You know, just breathe. I just found myself breathing just now. It's just. Just, it does, and slow down, like you said, and be with what's going on now. Um, the dissonance, the word dissonance comes to mind for the moment, to, to feel the dissonance, which is a form of music too. It's not pleasant music. Um, I think music is really important. I don't even understand exactly how which is part of what the movie I think is going to explore too. But music is resonating, isn't it? Music is, is, yeah, 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 yeah. And music, music is also in order to listen to a tune or to match the tune with your own voice or to feel it in your body, you're always riding a wave. So music is like attunement even. And I think that's also what really connects our nervous systems. It's like when we, I feel you feeling me, we are beginning to ride each other's waves. And it's, it's a, it's a moment to moment to moment to moment attunement or musical process. And that's yeah. why I think it's so amazing when you speak about the music, because I think that's what we anyway do all the time. And it's, it's, you know, go, go, go ahead. ahead, go ahead. Okay. And, and if you understand, I mean, I was sort of realizing that, who is it? Um, uh, Alan Watts said, um, the planet Earth peoples. That's what it does. It, it creates people. It's a peopling thing. And you can't disconnect people from the Earth. You, you, there's no way. It, it, take the Earth away, there aren't any people. It peopled. And so this is going a little bit like 21st century Alan Watts, but it's sort of like you go, okay, it's a peopling place. So if you and I are resonating and connecting, we can't disconnect it from being on planet Earth, and you can't disconnect planet Earth from the rest of the universe. It doesn't make any sense to go, there's just this here. You know, and they now they don't now they don't even think the Big Bang theory works anymore. This is the most recent thing I love about the James mm-hmm. Webb. It doesn't make any sense. Okay, so that theory, which was kind of a bullshit theory, frankly, because it's sort of like said, well, the universe started well, the Big Bang. I'm going, well, isn't that what happened when people had sex? There was the Big Bang, and that's when it started. So you can say, well, the universe started, or well, I everything started when I was conceived. Well, no, there was a whole bunch of millions of years took place before you were just, <laughs> right. and, and so let's sort of not dis. you can't disconnect anything. Everything is connected. And to think anything else is, well, is delusional, number one, and is actually traumatic because you're breaking up the reality. Now, it's almost beyond comprehension that you and I are sitting here talking, but we're sitting here in a universe talking, and it's all connected. And it's like, so anyway, <laughs> that's going down a little bit of a rabbit hole. But but I think I think you're right that we're not just resonating with each other. We're resonating on the whole universe, really. We cannot separate from the whole thing. 
which then does calm me a lot and go, it's all okay. It's all going to be okay. Yeah, it's it's very exciting to be alive. It's very exciting to be just as attuned as we can be and important to look at where people are so traumatized. I mean, the children in Israel and Gaza and the Ukraine, in, in the ghettos, in, in, the, in the wars that are going on that we don't really see, you know, the, the wars in Africa, the, you know, the, the, the little wars that take place, the, that we, we have to stay awake to it and we have to do what we, what we can. I mean, I think, and I think making the movie is a step. I think working for the charitable sector is, you know, we can only do so much. We're one of, um, what is it, 8 billion people now just on this planet. And this is a third-rate planet in the middle of nowhere, a little tiny galaxy with a, you know eighth-rate sun. And what's going on in the rest of the universe? I mean, the idea that we're the only thing in the universe, it's like, hello? Right. No. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and and I, I was going to say also that with the resonance, and maybe also what connects resonance and, and charitable is... Um, because I think, and I'm sure you you encountered it as well, like in your work, when when we sit with people, with groups, and we we touch absence, it looks like there's no resonance. But if we touch numbness and absence, and we can stay present to it, so it doesn't prevent resonance. It's just the absence of experience that was important for that person to numb that part or to pull out of the body in order to shut that down. And then I thought, because you spoke about so many things happening, I think privilege is also the positive use of privilege for us when you spoke about the children is where consciousness implies that we go to look for the pain that is mute. Mm, yes, yes, yes. And I think, I think again, I find this when I'm facilitating sessions, for instance, that when you come upon a part that feels dead, that's just, I hurt and it's hopeless and I want to die. Uh, and what I've been trained and learned to do is you go next to that part as a facilitator and you say, let's repeat that. I hurt and I'm in pain and I want to die. And you don't say, oh, by the way, you're going to, you know, this is a young part of someone you're, you're working with, you know, a subject you're working with. You don't say to that part, it's all going to be okay. You're going to live. You're not going to die. When you grow up, you're going to be fine. No, no. You say, you, you may not live. Yes, we want to be with that part of you. We want to unnumb, unnumb you. We don't want to say, you know, everything's fine. You, we, and it's because it's scary. But I also think it's like that person is saying, I'm in a state where I want to understand why I should live. I'm going to go numb. I'm going to watch television. I'm going to, I'm going to work too hard. And I'm going to just, I'm going to just get through life. Just I'm going to be brave enough to get through life or I'm too much of a coward or whatever it is, as opposed to going, let's go down. Let's untangle this. Let's honor you. Let's honor everything about you. I'm suddenly feeling a real pain in my side. It's interesting. You know, it's like and be there with you to take that numbness and feel it. Yeah, but what definitely makes sense is often so scary for the one who hears that. Yeah, it might be also a professional or a friend, so that we pull away from feeling. Mm. And I think what you what you are saying is, how can I really hear you? Because often this, oh, you will not do this, like coming from our own defenses. Yeah. But I think creating a resonance with the non-resonance, I yeah. think yeah. it creates a feeling. Oh, I'm being heard in my struggle, and that that part can start to communicate more again than to be more isolated by somebody saying what you should or should not do that isolates that more and charges it actually like strengthens the defense i think that's that's important the other part i think that's important is also that we see like that we are living in a time 
when I think that the individual psychotherapeutic lens needs to be opened up into an individual ancestral and collective lens, because many people that right now feel climate anxiety, climate depression, don't feel like an agency to live with where our nature is going. I think we are seeing individual, ancestral, and collective processes kind of mixed up in an isolated individual. And that kind of separate, that story of a separate individual cannot continue that way. We need to look at that deeper and not perpetuate even the all the philosophies around it. And I think that's an important because if the pressure cooker of the individual can open up and feel itself again in a wider space, the, the, the whole vessel, the whole container grows. And I think many fears that we feel at the moment are also collective fears, that we are coming up against a lot of collective detox process and, and the reflective way to deal with it is to shut it down. See that that's a problem because it disturbs me in my daily life. But finding a way to having skills and tools and relationships that help us to detox that and really listen to it. I think that's that's something also very important when we deal with all the collective stuff that is surfacing right now all over the world. Well, you know, it's interesting. There's an irony in that, which is that I feel utterly alone and isolated because I am a part of the whole human race. It's like you're going, I'm desperately alone because I am a product of a human race that has felt disconnected so, so often. And the irony is you are connected. What you're experiencing is a connection with the pain. And if you can, if you can, well, that's what I think the, the universe sings can begin to really explore because I really want to interview everybody cool on the planet. It's sort of like I'm going, I want to start with everyone in the sector. In fact, I think we talked about before, I want to interview you, or I want to interview Bessel van der Kock, I want to interview you know, Gabor Mate again, I want to Dan Siegel, all those people, yeah, yeah. But I want to get the neurobiologists, I want to get the astronomers, I want to get everyone to say, and I'm not quite sure what the question to ask yet is, but I think it is, what do you think about what, what music, or I'm not sure what it is, I've got to work on that piece of it, but it's to get everyone to talk about how what they're doing, and you know, they're brilliant people in all different sectors, you know, you know, it's like, I know, I think I talked about Yo-Yo Ma, you know, I got to get to Yo-Yo Ma, I hope he's, you will hear about this, you know, because did I tell you the story about Yo-Yo Ma? I think I did, didn't I? But, um, oh, so, so I met him at one point, this is, a, this is not the best way to tell the story, but I met him at one point, I was, I was very, very depressed, and I had, I um, had a house in Martha's Vineyard, Hollywood person that I am, and I would, but I was very depressed and I just spent hours and hours and hours building sandcastles, which was just, and I got really into it and created them. And I'd build the castles near the beach, near the, near the ocean. So when the tide came up, it would become a big drama. It was like always drama and the kids would try and save it and we would create superstitions and then it would all get washed away and we would do it again. So it was a full day of distraction, frankly, from my own depression. One day a guy comes up to me and says, um, uh, he came a couple of times. He said, you know, Stephen, I'd like to, I'd like to, um, he said, he didn't say my name. He said, you know, I'd like, I'd like to intern with you. And I said, sure, you can intern with you. I'd like to come and just earn, intern how you do this. And I said, okay, my, my name is Stephen. He said, my name is Yo-Yo. So it was Yo-Yo Ma. And I've heard that he's, and we, he worked with me for a while, like a little kid. He loved all that stuff, you know, but like, I've heard he's very into music and it's resonating and all that. So I'm going, I'm going after Yo-Yo other musicians as well, you know, and, you know, and, you know, it, it's just, and then we put together what is still wonderfully uncertain to me, but what is, in, what is certain to me is that it's all singing. It's all, it's, and it should be ultimately like, I don't know, like the hallelujah chorus when it reaches its highest point, you know, where it's, this is the celebration, enough of the celebration that we can look at the dark, material and we can begin to move to the next phase of what it is to be a human species, you know, which is, I think we're just at the beginning of it, you know. Very beautiful. It's lovely. And also that especially for this movie, I think being in the space that's unfolding 
is actually walking the talk of the movie. Yeah, I don't know yeah. It into a form, but letting the form emerge and having some inspirations and let it emerge around that. I think that's that's a, a very beautiful way. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, Stephen, I see our time. It says time flies by. We are getting into it. <laughs> we are just uh, on a wave together, which I think is also the resonance that I, at least I feel with you. Uh, there's yeah, yeah. a lot of uh, ditto, resonance. Ditto, ditto, right back. I mean, it's just, and I'm realizing, in a way, I've come to the Tao. And I was like, when I was very young, I had a friend who got me into the I Ching, and actually, I just gave the I Ching to my my granddaughter. And I used to use it, and I don't know what that's how that's connected with all of it, but it's as if I've sort of come in my own way toward what, everything you're talking about with the Tao, because there's this, but I think I'm going to have to do my homework a little bit more and do, mm -hmm. do a little bit more work around the Tao, because I think it's clearly where, wherever there's wisdom, even if it's the people are long dead, you know, and, but it's there, it got written down. That's where we want to go, wherever we can. Exactly. Exactly. Well, these are very wise words for <laughs> finishing at least this this talk, yeah, this, and I yeah, hope the more anytime, will come. Anytime you want to talk some more, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> That's amazing, Stephen. Thank you so much, and I uh, feel filled and creative and joyful. So thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Point of Relation with Thomas Hoover. Stay connected by visiting our website pointofrelationpodcast.com and by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review and share about us with your community on social media. Thank you. We appreciate your support.